0: 49ers star receiver Debo Samuel wants to be traded. You hate to see it. Plus, is the NFL as high on a receiver class that a lot of Packer fans have talked themselves into? We dig into all of that next. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Touchdown! You are Locked on Packers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked On Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. Debo Samuel reportedly wants to be traded. He told ESPN's Jeff Darlington that he wants out. That it's not about money. That it is about fit and which is interesting, did not want to elaborate, just says, I want to be traded, I want out. And part of the reason is he does not want to be the wide back that made him, I don't want to say famous, that would be overselling it, but that made him headlines for this unique skill set that he has. And and I thought Dusty Evely, our, our pal, put it together very astutely when he pointed out that over the first 10 games of the season, Debo Samuel was playing a very different role in this offense, but he was still really, really good. Mike Clay also pointed this out. Uh, a, A number of other people pointed out that Debo Samuel was actually the second leading receiver in the league before his role changed in a major way. Pat Doherty over at NBC Sports brought this up as well. He was a really good just receiver when he was doing just receiver things or mostly receiver things for the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, part of Debo's appeal is that he can do some running back stuff. You can get the ball in his hands on end arounds and jet sweeps and be creative getting the ball to him quickly. You know who that's true about? Tyreek Hill, uh Jamar Chase, and and uh, just a bevy of other guys. Yes, move them around, let them do some different kinds of things. Remember Randall Cobb in his prime? They were they the Packers had a package where they put Devontae Adams in the backfield and had him run routes earlier in his career. They put him in the slot all the time. They have him in jet motion. They run that package play that they had over the course of the year that they ran 17 different variations of where he's going in jet motion. Okay, one time it's the push pass. One time it's the fake jet back out. That's not bad. I don't I don't want any of, of this idea that, oh, he's not a receiver. Like, oh, all his value is tied up in all of this other stuff that he does in a league where running backs don't. Separate themselves one from another. I almost said they don't matter. They don't, they don't not matter, but the difference in in their value is infinitesimal. The gap between Debo Samuel and the other guys of the position is not the fact that he can run the ball too. It's why he can run the ball. He is ridiculous to stop after the catch. When he has the ball in his hand, he is as good as any player in football at creating without help. That's what makes him so special. So there's a lot of value there. Now let's let's not even get into the Kyle Shanahan of it all. The why does Debo not want to be there, not want to play the role that Kyle Shanahan asked him to play. And I think we, we can look at a number of reasons for that. He seems to be more into Jimmy Garoppolo than Kyle Shanahan. 49ers probably going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm sure Debo has no idea. If Trey Lance is going to be good, that's a pretty big risk for him. If he's going to take on this additional burden, and he doesn't want to take the beating, he doesn't want to take the pounding of playing running back. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to play fifty percent as a running back versus fifty percent as a receiver, or it's almost, it was almost sixty percent at the end of last season. He knows running backs have short shelf lives. He doesn't want to do that. So this whole discussion of well, who is he as valuable to San Francisco? Uh, you know, th- then then. If they're going to put him in a different offense and make him do something else for who is he that valuable? Well, the answer is no one, but because Debo doesn't want it to be, he doesn't want anyone else to use him precisely like the 49ers did last year when he has this breakout season. This has trickle down effects. DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, share agents over here. So there's, there's going to be some, hey, look, we're willing to play hardball. Other guys could shake loose. We're a week from the draft now. Is this going to get resolved in a week? The Tyreek Hill stuff turned out in, in less than a week. It was like this, this report becomes public and bang, in within a couple hours. Now, this could just be leverage from Debo's camp. We don't know the situation. This is monumental in the balance of power in the NFC. I don't think the 49ers are going to trade Debo Samuel to Green Bay. Green Bay is certainly going to be interested. Ian Rappaport reported Colts, Eagles, Packers, Saints, Chiefs are among the teams who are going to be interested. There have already been calls and dialogue, not necessarily between the Packers and the 49ers, but between teams and the 49ers on Debo. This is all going to come with a, a new contract and Presumably a a number of premium picks. At least one first. We'll see. I don't think it's going to be Green Bay. Now, if you're the Packers, though, I don't want to say you don't care, but there is value in Debo Samuel leaving San Francisco that goes beyond him coming to Green Bay. If he goes to the Jets or the Colts, and I don't know how the Colts are going to get them. They don't have any picks. But if he goes to the Jets with Kyle Zach Wilson, then cool. You've just made a conference rival significantly worse. Even if they get, let's say, the 10th and the 35th picks, you're probably not going to get players that are going to bring you, certainly in year one, what Debo was. And now... You potentially lengthen the learning curve for Trey Lance, who is going to come in and start, and all of a sudden, like, what is that team? And I, I, I understand the thought process of like, well, they went to the NFC Championship with Jimmy Garoppolo. Just because Jimmy Garoppolo is not a great quarterback does not mean he's not like above the baseline. He is. You can't just be anyone operating that offense. You need to have a certain amount. of. Is he a great quarterback? Is he a top 10 quarterback? No. But is he one one of the 16 to 20 best quarterbacks in football? Absolutely yes. Trey Lance is going to have a de facto rookie season in which he's played. Started, I think, three games by the time next year starts in almost three calendar years. Three games. One in college. Like, that's bananas. It's a rookie season. And rookie QBs. Like most rookies are bad, rookie QBs especially are bad. So, they're a contender with that team, with Trey Lance. I don't know about that, and no Debo. Even if you get the tenth pick and you can take a Drake London or a Garrett Wilson or someone like that, man, I I don't I I don't see it. I really don't. So yeah, hurting a division rival in that way is a net positive for Green Bay, even if they don't. Trade for him. Now, does this shake loose the DK Metcalfs, the Terry McLaurins, the AJ Browns of the world? Oh, well, DK did it. Or Debo did it. Look. and, And guess who everyone sided with? Debo. Everyone's like, yeah. Send that man where he wants to go and pay him his money. Yeah. Yeah. The Packers had to deal with that reality. The Chiefs had to deal with that reality. And now the 49ers are dealing with that reality. Now, the question becomes... At what point does the market become oversaturated? At what point does everyone that needs a receiver get one? And, and this is this is more important potentially, we had not had a market reset at receiver in a long time where guys are getting these crazy top of market contracts and, and not working out. We've seen it at every other position, basically. We've seen guys go over 25 million on the edge. We've seen quarterbacks blow past 25 million, cornerbacks at 25 million a year, offensive linemen over 20 million. Receivers were just not in that same realm. Now they are. Well, when you see a team like Minnesota train Stephon Diggs and then draft Justin Jefferson and get a player who's arguably just as good. If the Packers or the Chiefs are able to find someone in the draft that is really a good player. These guys are more ready to come in now and produce than they've ever been. I'm on, I'm on Ross St. Brown for the Lions as a day two pick came in and produced at a high level. Jamar Chase was an all pro last year. Jalen Waddell had a thousand yard receiver receiving season, even if I don't, I don't, I think that was way inflated. He basically had a tight end season with with heavy volume. These guys can come in right away and and compete to be top-level guys. Our team's going to continue to make these bets with these players when you could go into the, the draft. And history tells us you have a better than 50 50 chance. You have a 60 to 65% chance in the first round of hitting on an above average starter at receiver. That's really good. Would would you rather do that? Would you rather take 22 and 53, draft two receivers than pay and 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 get Russell Douglas and Devondre Campbell than have Devontae Adams? I think a lot of fans probably would. And a lot of teams are probably looking at this going maybe that's the best way to handle this. Doesn't make it any easier to do it. And it doesn't mean Green Bay should not be interested if the price is right for looking at some of these guys, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Different situation, these guys are younger. I mean DK Metcalf's 24. Potentially still on the ascent, could still get better. I'm just saying this is these are these are things that I think we need to be thinking about when we we're looking at these sorts of transactions. We're going to talk about something that's really interesting. Bob McGinn is the best when it comes to the NFL draft. He is plugged in around the league: AFC scouts, NFC Scouts, personnel directors, top line evaluators. He's been doing this for 30 plus years, where he is getting the down and and the low with all of these players. On Okay, what are they? What do scouts think they are? What do NFL teams think they are? And it turns out, based on his reporting, the NFL is not as into this receiver class as maybe we are, as maybe Packer fans are, as maybe NFL Draft Twitter is, as as much as the mock draft industrial complex is. We're going to talk about that in a second. Before we do, let's talk about our friends at Blue Nile. Blue Nile offers... Fine jewelry. They allow you to step your game up. Whoever you're trying to give jewelry to. Could be yourself. Could be for you. Could be for your mom. Could be for your dad. Could be for your brother. Could be for your sister. Could be for your boyfriend. Could be for your girlfriend. Your partner. Whoever it's for. Could be wedding jewelry. It could be just because jewelry. Could be I'm sorry jewelry. I hope it's not. But it could be. Blue Nile gives you the chance to shop high quality classic Classic pieces, elegant tennis bracelets, gemstone pendant necklaces, diamond earrings—all from the comfort of your very own home. This Mother's Day, give your mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from Blue Nile.com. And locked on Packers listeners, get fifty dollars off a purchase of five hundred dollars or more. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day. Use the promo code Locked On. That's code Locked On to get yourself your mom. Or someone that you just want to say hi to, a piece of luxury jewelry from bluenile.com. That's promo code locked on. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Check us out on draft night a week from tonight, April 28th, 7 p.m. Eastern. We will go live on the Locked On NFL draft feed. I will be your host, shepherding you through the evening. 22, 28, who knows where the Packers are going to be picking. But we're going to go through every pick with our experts, our network of experts, and everything that they bring to bear on a night where you want that local impact. You want that local perspective. What does this player give to that team? This is what this team is looking for here. And to find out what's coming next, we're going to be on air Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. If they're making picks, we're going to be on YouTube, the Locked On NFL Draft YouTube page. So, I love this piece from Bob McGinn every year. He does a series of pieces where he talks to scouts, NFL evaluators, and he wants to know, what do these guys think of the players? So, important caveats here. This is not what Bob McGinn thinks of the player. So, this is not Matt Miller or Jordan Reed or Trevor Sykema or Mike Renner or you know Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper talking. This is not some guy with an opinion. This is a guy who has been talking to NFL scouts and talent evaluators for literal decades and getting their opinions on these players. It is an excellent way to gauge where the league is on these guys and it also offers insight into stuff that we don't have access to. So I I watched the tape and I look at the numbers then I look at historical models and projection models and, and I do a lot of research in the draft. This has been a pet project of mine since before there was a cabin industry and now it's not a cabin industry. It's a freaking resort industry it, and business is booming, right? That's just that's what the, the uh, NFL draft industrial complex now looks like. It's why I was able to get three guys just from Pro Football Focus in successive weeks to come on and talk because they've got a bunch of guys who do this. A lot of people study the draft now. We, we can only go so far. I, I am not looking into, I'm not going to talk to the coaches and getting, this is, this is important too. Media people can go talk to coaches. They don't always get the whole story. But teams want to protect relationships with NFL teams. They will tell the story. And even if they don't tell the whole truth, they're not going to tell nothing but the truth. They'll tell you enough that you understand what they're saying without knocking a guy because you never wanted to get back to that player that you said a thing that you maybe shouldn't have or that was critical of them. But you give them you give them that that wink, that nod, that like, Hey, there's there were some issues. We had some issues with this guy. That's that's stuff NFL teams are knowing. They they put in work on um these these tests that guys take. Emotional intelligence. Um the the, the whiteboard stuff. We don't get to do that. We don't get to put them through their paces in workouts teams do. And so hearing from NFL teams while it's not the ultimate source it is, it is in terms of like trying to predict what is true and what is not. I don't, I don't think we should take what these scouts say as gospel in terms of like, well, the NFL scouts say this, so it must be this. No, they still say some stupid stuff and every year we read it and we go, that is stupid. An NFL scout said Georgia receivers never turn out like AJ Green just like didn't happen. And like scouting the helmet is not in in just entirely stupid, but this is how NFL scouts. Some of them still operate. That's the thing is we assume that these guys are because they're quote unquote professionals and they are, I'm being uh, uncharitable by, by saying they're not professionals. They are, but that doesn't mean that they know better than everyone all the time, just because they get paid for a living to do it because guess what? Teams screw this up all the time. All the time. Okay, rant on pause at least for now. We'll see if I get back to it. It is, I think, valuable though to hear where the consensus is on these players and and Bob McGinn, I mean, it, to his credit, he gets these guys to vote. I mean, he, he essentially gives them their board. Now, not the team's board, but the scout because the scout only offers... Even if it's a higher-ranking scout, they don't put together the whole board. Even Jerry Jones doesn't put together the whole board. You put together the board as a front office, as an administration, with your coaches, with everyone. But if you're you're an area scout or you're a director of college scouting, you have your list. Bob has them vote. Give me your best receiver. Give me your second-best receiver. All that stuff. And then he ranks them based on those votes. It is a... A uh, ordered ballot where you get to express your preferences. It's not just like I think the best player is X. A couple interesting things to note from this survey. Jamison Williams got the most first place votes of anyone. And I think that bears itself out because he was a guy who was probably going to be the number one receiver had he not gotten hurt. And if you're taking a receiver in the first round, you understand Yes, they can help you in year one, but you need this for the long term. Any player, frankly, and by year two, the ACL should be fine. Now, the reason I have dinged Jamison Williams a little bit more for that ACL than maybe John Mechie is because if Jamison Williams doesn't have his speed, if he loses 10% of his speed, he loses more than 10% of his appeal as a player. If John Mechie loses 10% of his speed or explosiveness, He probably loses like 6% of his appeal as a player. Jamison Williams' main thing, his elite skill is speed. He's not a great route runner. He's not a great underneath separator. He's not going to go win at the catch point. He's not going to kill teams in the red zone by running a blaze out or some sort of special route. He's a splash play. He's a big play. He's a speed guy who's going to change everything about the geometry of your offense. A really valuable, really good player. He can. St- I, th- I think he can be tall T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton was at his best when he had secondary receivers who could provide that, that third and sixth conversion. Who could threaten the seam. You need to build the right team around them. And Drake London, who most mocks at this point have either going wide receiver one or wide receiver two. They have Drake London at wide receiver four, this group of scouts. Now, it's not like they went out to dinner and, you know, cast their ballot. He's talking to them individually over the course of the offseason. Why does receiver four? If we assume the first receiver is not going off the board until 10 with the Jets, maybe the Jets, maybe it's the 49ers. It's not going to be 14. I mean, you could be sitting there and one of these guys like Drake London, who is an awesome football player, could be there at 16. Green Bay could move up or Jamison Williams or one of these, like that's the beauty of this. Now, the other side, I think there are a lot of players that we see as potential first round picks in part, because they've been mocked there in part, because hooked in people, connected people are putting guys like Christian Watson in the first round, George Pickens, borderline first round player. Well, when those guys are 13, 15 on these lists, that makes you go, probably not a first-round player. Just probably not. You can't be the 10th best, 12th best receiver and go on the first round. Now, of course, it only takes one team. It only takes one team to decide that you're worth it. But you read the comments. There are a lot of scouts that mention George Pickens, for example. Ego. Attitude. Not a hard worker. I mean, you watch him on the field; that guy's an mf'er. He will block you to the plays with an attitude. And maybe, maybe these you know hardcore scouts, these old school guys, are not into it. And someone like Matt Lafleur, like Sean McVay, these these new generation of coaches is a little bit more into just like, hey man, be yourself, be a badass, and let's go. Just do what we ask you to do. Do whatever you want as long as when we say jump, you jump. You don't even have to say how high, just jump. And George Pickens can jump. But I think what this tells us is, I think there's five guys that's going to go in the first round receivers. Maybe six. It's Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks. Those are the guys who are going in the first round for something close to sure. Olave Williams Wilson London. Those guys for sure are going in the first round. After that, don't know. And the problem for the Packers is Jahan Dotson probably not a type for them, not going to be on their board. And then what do you do? Cuz if that's what happens and then you get to the you get to 22 and those guys are gone. How do you approach it? Now I think there is a good case to be made that you take your best guy at 22. Because you could still get a blue chip talent at 22. Someone that you think is really, really good at 22. Someone that you had a top 10, top 15 kind of grade on. Assuming you had someone that's only like six guys in this whole class that have that, that. Just because you go in the top 15 doesn't mean you had a top 15, top 10 kind of grade. But the Packers, there could be someone that they think has that kind of ability there at 22. Take them and then at 28, look to trade back. Look to trade back. The Jets. The Seahawks, Seahawks could want a quarterback. The Lions could want a quarterback. Trade back, add some pieces, and then go from there. Now, the flip side of that is Packers don't really need to add picks. (laughs) That's the thing. They don't really need to add picks. They have a, a roster that is pretty jammed already. So I think more likely what I would do anyway is I'm taking the best guy I can at 22, if, if my if my favorite receivers are off the board, and I'm taking the best guy I can at 28, and then I'm tra- I'm taking 53 and moving up, and I'm going to get that guy. So if I leave the first round with Travis Jones and, Taxton, and Daxton Hill, and by the way, I feel really good about that, and we get to day two, and George Pickens is still on the board, Christian Watson is still on the board, some of these guys that we think John Mechie is still on the board, Jalen Tolbert is still on the board, Now take 53 and try and move up, get into the 40s and try and get one of these guys because usually there is a run on receivers in the first and the second rounds just because people who didn't get them in the first want to get them in the second and then it starts to spread out a little bit more. So you probably want to get up into the 40s. We saw this happen in 2020. Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault, all these guys, T. Higgins at the top of the second just start to fly off the board, chase Claypool, and the Packers can't get up into the range where they want to get there. Well, very different because they've got two second round picks plus 53 makes it a lot easier for them to get into, you know, 43 to get one of these guys. So just something, something to keep an eye on, understanding that if they don't take a receiver on day one, that the league does not think as highly of these guys as as I do, for example, or as a lot of people on Packers Twitter, draft Twitter. And and Draft Media. All right, some closing thoughts here about Packers culture. But before we get there, let's talk about our friends at Get Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one spot for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports betting opportunities at Bet Online. Basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball is here. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information. You can bet on Draft Props. Love that one. Live betting esports head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action bet online where the game starts and thanks for making locked on packers your first listen every day make your second listen locked on nfl draft ryan tracy and former nfl cornerback eric crocker bring the nfl draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and nfl front offices it's free and available wherever you get podcasts so devondre campbell said something really interesting he said when the, when he came to green Bay and one of the reasons why he stayed in green Bay was because when he came initially, Matt LaFleur was a guy that he trusted and he told the coaching staff, don't make me a Sam. Don't make me a will make, don't make me a Mike. Let me do the things that I do best. And the Packers coaching staff said, okay. So when you hear Matt LaFleur say, I don't want to say he has more freedom in Green Bay, but he has more freedom. That's what that means. The Packers didn't try and pigeonhole him and say, you are this. DeAndre Campbell played in the slot. He did all kinds of things that you would not normally ask a Mike linebacker to do because he can do them. That displays an amount of intestinal fortitude to take a risk like that creativity, and trust. When we talk about football culture, when we talk about really any culture, but when we talk about locker room culture in the NFL, and what does it mean to have a good culture, what we're talking about is trust. It's like um, a family. You may not always like each other. You may get in fights. But ultimately, I trust you to have my back. If we're family, I trust you to have my back because you need. You should trust me to have yours. I will have your back. If we're family, I have your back. Trust. I want you to succeed. I want you to be in the best position for you. And I may, I may yell at you, and I may criticize you, and I may try and motivate you, and we may disagree on all kinds of things but if you trust that it's coming from a place where I care about what's best for you and we're all pulling on the rope in the same direction, let's throw out all these cliches, then that's what matters. That's what good culture is. Good culture is trust. Good culture is the Seattle Seahawks having a fist fight in the locker room, but understanding that they could go out on the field and trust that the guy next to them was still going to do his job because... They shared that common goal. They trusted each other. The coaches and the players trusted each other. I trust that you're going to put me in the best position to succeed. That is culture. That is culture. I trust that my voice is going to be heard. If I have a problem, I can come to you with it. That's culture. And that's what the Green Bay Packers have built. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. More to get to. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully, our guest will be here on Friday. It's gonna be fun, and if not, uh, hopefully next week. But we are—we have it scheduled. I don't want to—I don't want to promote it before we have it. So once it's in the can, I will promote it. Keep an eye on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. uh Follow me on Twitter. On the podcast at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers Fan Hotline, you can do that nine two zero. Three four one three seven seven five. Stay Locked Packers.